Welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster. I'm your host Dave, and I'm joined as usual by Matt and Cameron. Uh, today uh, we have two guests, so it's a, a first for the podcast, and uh, a hearty welcome to Leonard and Stephen. Uh, how are you guys doing today, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, hunters and hunters of hunters. I'm good, thanks. I've decided to wear a shirt for this episode as well. It's, uh, yeah, important day, this one. <laughs> How's it going, Cameron? Oh, I'm pretty good. I just looked outside and saw the moon, so uh, I'm all set to be thematically ready for this. <laughs> and uh, Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I uh, really enjoy the show, and I really enjoy the uh, the subject we're getting ready to talk about. So I'm I'm pretty pumped uh, to be here. Excellent. And Leonard, last but not least, what's that smell? It's blood. <laughs> <laughs> You've been practicing that all week, haven't you? <laughs> He's been waiting. Yes. <laughs> So uh, that nicely segues into our our main content. We're going to be covering Bloodborne this episode. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've been looking forward to this for like a month. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. So uh, what we'll do is uh, kind of harken back to our our earlier... um, Dark Souls coverage, and we're going to take a look at a few of the the notable creatures and some of the areas, I guess, um, within the game. Um, it's been out for a while, but spoiler alert, we'll be discussing plot points and maybe the end of the game, little little bits here and there. So if you haven't played it, uh, go ahead. You should probably give the game a <laughs> shot. <laughs> okay. I will... Um, I'll start us off... Uh, the the creature that uh, I selected um, for my part of the discussion is the man eater boar. Um, <laughs> yeah, these guys. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> uh, you find them. The, well, the first uh, encounter is down in the sewers um, in Yarnum, and I I will say I got my character down there, saw this giant dark tunnel. And just <laughs> said, no, I'm not going down there. Nope. There's, there's a perfectly safe ladder right here next to it. That, that's the way to go, right? <laughs> Busy stroking the ladder. But yes, nice ladder. Yeah. Safe ladder. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't have a torch. I'm, I'm not going in there. Um, so, yeah, down that tunnel is, in fact, um, the first encounter for the man-eater boar. I found, when I found this guy, so I go up the ladder, and you kind of you make your way down the bridge, um, find a couple of their uh, interesting little foes there, and then there's another ladder. So, I went, I went down there, and found myself face to rear, uh, in fact, with the, the, the creature in question. Large uh, rump. <laughs> Just kind of staring right at you. And, you know, oh, this is this is perfect. Let's do a backstab. And that's disgusting. You just... Yeah. <laughs> you're just doing a colonoscopy yeah. on the, the poor animal. And, uh... 
Yeah, um, that's, need, need that's a, I know it's a, it's it's brutal. I mean, for a game that's already filling the screen with blood, you're covered in blood, and it's it's bad. It's a bad place. <laughs> so, uh, how, how about you guys? Did you did you go after this guy face first, or uh, what'd you do, Stephen? Uh, yeah. I really like how you're talking about like the the idea of coming up on the tunnel like that. Like, uh, I think the thing about Bloodborne um, and how it presents its monsters for the first time, like it does a lot of really great first impressions. And uh, I, I, for whatever reason, I thought it was okay to go down the tunnel the first time. I think I just didn't see the ladder to my right because I was I was running past all of the very loud and scary looking things that were in that sewer. <laughs> um, so I went ahead and I, I ran down the tunnel. I'm like, oh, that's a big shadow. I guess I'll just take that on. Um, and uh, I, th- the funny thing is about the man-eater boar is their uh, their bark is a lot worse than their bite. Mm. Um, like they're very, you know, they're pretty squishy uh, enemies for you know compared to the size that they are. Um, they're uh, you know they're they're easy to deal with once you really know what to do with them. Uh, but you know it was really intimidating, so I kind of just kept running down the tunnel and. As all of you, I'm sure, know, there's there's (laughs) nothing at the end of that tunnel except for a drop uh, into nothingness, so then I died. I was like, okay, cool. (laughs) Um, But the cool thing, what I like most about the Maneater Boar is that there's a second first impression that you get with that creature um, later on in the Nightmare of Mensis. Uh, where they place, and at that point, it's near the end of the game. You've seen, you've dealt with them a million times. You're like, ah, this is nothing. Um, and then you come up on one, you see one standing uh, away from you and it turns around and it's just got all of, it's like a garden of eyes on top of the pig's face. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay, cool. That's dumb and awesome. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the designers had a bit of a copy and paste moment at that point, didn't they? Yeah, let's put eyes on everything. <laughs> well, I mean, everyone's looking for those eyes. Yeah, <laughs> it becomes incredibly not subtle at that point. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that that second encounter also lends the the frenzy effect um, to the boar. Yes, uh, it does. Yeah. So mm-hmm. even just sidestepping or trying to run away, you know, you're building up that meter that no one uh, loves. <laughs> over I'm not gonna lie. If I saw a pig that size in real life, I'm sure I would. Something of the equivalent of frenzy would happen to me immediately. <laughs> oh yeah, you're thinking the amount of bacon that would be on it. Oh, oh man, <laughs> would you, would you want to eat any of that? Oh, hey, that's that's fine. There's people in the world that would <laughs> probably. Uh, probably. I try no, it. No better way to get eyes on the inside. Hey. <laughs> oh. Oh. Oof. Nice thing. I'll be here all week. Hey. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, Cameron, how about you? How did you approach this? Yeah. Guy? Um, uh, well, mine was a little different in that um, I started out a lot like you, actually, Dave, where I got, I saw this big, dark, spooky tunnel with a big, ominous shape in the back of it. And I went, you know, no, I'll go up this nice ladder. And then I went up the nice ladder and I went further through the game and I never went down there until I went and tried to finish up some side quests. And this boar is actually an important part of one side quest because you can accidentally feed a little girl to it, which I found out when I went down there again, I was like, I'm strong now. I'll fight whatever that was. I'm like, that's a big pig. Kill it. It drops an item. I look at the item. I'm like, 
oh no, <laughs> I've done a terrible thing. I've sent a little scared alone girl into this horrific sewer system to go try and find a safe place. And she got eaten by this giant pig. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think they're a fun design. They show up in a few places, like they show up. There's one in Yarnum. There's a couple in the Forgotten Woods, and there's some in the Nightmare of Mensis. Yeah, and they're quite fun to fight. You know, they're good if you can dodge to either side. They occasionally uh, sort of trick you out by doing a gas breath or a frenzy breath and stuff like that. I don't know the um the ones in the Forgotten Woods. You can actually get them to sort of belly flop onto fires and sort of pre cook them. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of adds a little levity to that area. <laughs> Leonard, uh, how about you? Uh, I had a similar experience uh, to yours, but I actually went down the tunnel and had the boar charge at me and said, nope, and climbed the ladder, proceeded forward, went back down the other ladder, and uh, pretty much performed the visceral on the boar Mm. and uh, uh, said to myself, wow, this is a real tone setter. For this game, if uh, just pig fisting, okay, I know exactly, know ex- know exactly what you're going for, Miyazaki, with this one. You're not gonna, mm. you're not gonna shy away from making it as gory and ridiculous as you possibly can. Mm. I think I think yeah. Len has already found the uh, the name of this episode already. Yeah, <laughs> and, Please, and I guess I guess we're gonna be changing the rating of the podcast too. Yes. <laughs> no, no, it's it's all right. There's a secret key item in your inventory. You just never saw it. It's your veterinary license. <laughs> okay. You're just fixing the pig. It's okay. We're not we're not hunters. We're vets. <laughs> that would be a completely different game. Uh. <laughs> and we're all really terrible at our jobs because say, every single one guys. of the animal that we encounter just dies. We're, we're using axes, we're using saw cleavers, <laughs> cannons. Yeah, it was very yeah. unsanitary utensils. <laughs> hey, I don't know. I had the uh, surgical gloves equipped. It was okay. But the thing that I ultimately kind of love about the, the boar and the sewer area in general is that it adds, uh, it adds this presumption to the player that, okay, yeah, this is a disease and it doesn't just affect humans. It's affecting the animals. You, you see it in so many different animals up until that point that, uh, that later on when the uh, twist happens, it really does kind of catch you by surprise because it seems so biological and it is, but it's, different <laughs> than what you assume yeah um what well, is it's pretty interesting if you look at the, the monsters that are not not human in origin they're all animals that would have circumstantially feasted on the flesh of these uh these beasts I mean, yeah, right pigs mm-hmm. will pretty much eat anything it specifically calls out you know uh, carrying crows and, and dogs. Uh, the dogs so uh 
That's and rats. Uh, yeah, and yeah, rats. Yeah. I mean, you have that yeah. entire like blood born. I mean, you can just literally. Mm. Yeah, they just took the title and ran with it. <laughs> uh, Matt, how how did your encounter go with the boar? From memory, I I had what I call soul sweats, which is when you're playing a souls born <laughs> game and you, you're carrying far too many souls, or in this case, uh, blood echoes, when you're desperately trying to find a bonfire and you're sort of panicking, going, "I've got lots of <laughs> I've got lots of blood echoes. I haven't got much left." And then I did sort of take the turn in which ended up, you know, coming to that first um, man-eater boar. And it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh, oh no, this looks like it's going to be awkward. I, you know, but uh, to be fair, I didn't find, I don't find them particularly, like others have said, I don't find them particularly too difficult to fight. They're actually quite, they're, they're a bit more where they look a, a little more menacing than they actually are. And you just, like I said, just do the old soul's trick of just get, getting them in the rear, basically. And um yeah, I think I think the next time you see them, it like like uh, Cameron said, is when in the Forbidden Woods, and I think I ran past those on, literally on the way to the Shadows of Yarnum, and then when you is then ironically you you then come to them again, at the Nightmare Immensis with the Shadows of Yarnum again, part two. So yeah. you know yeah. where <laughs> they go, well, you ran past them before, you're not missing them this time, <laughs> and then they all fight each other. So that's I think that's great. it's quite funny actually. If you think about it that the that they're very close to each other that first time when you when you come across Shadows Yarnum as a boss, and then later they end up um, fighting each other, um, which I, I think, from memory, I used to farm a lot of uh, Blood Echoes at that point. It was quite a good farming mm. spot, and, a, and probably the most hilarious farming spot you'll come across, where you uh, <laughs> leave the boars into the, into the shadows. But, uh, yeah, it was a, it's, a, it's an intimidating enemy, but, you know, like I said, not, not, as, not as bad as you think it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen, you talked a little bit about uh, like iconic enemy placement, um, that, especially those first encounters uh, with this guy. Since he is, you know, down a straightaway, it's a tunnel that you really don't have a lot of room to move. Um, they that charge they do can potentially almost always one shot you if it connects. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I felt like this kind of was. It's like, hey, you know, come to, go down the tunnel and then just get killed. Uh, sort of as an object uh, lesson, um, I think, on the part of the designers. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Sounds like we got that guy uh, done and dusted. (laughs) Um, Steven, uh, guest number one, it looks like. Um, What's what's the the beastie you picked? Um, I picked the uh, brain suckers. Um, Speaking of first impressions, I I don't know about y'all, but... um, and I won't get too much into it since we're going to be talking about it later. But I, I didn't spoil anything for this game uh, for myself. Like, I watched the launch, <laughs> the announcement trailer at E3, and then I didn't see anything else um, for it, which is really hard to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no idea that this is going to be anything other than some, you know, monsters and werewolves, uh, which I, I was thoroughly enjoying that part of the game. Um, uh, you know, as I was kind of making my way through the, the earlier parts and, uh, they hide the, um, or optional locations in the first half, uh, before I mm. think, I think it's after, I don't remember exactly where it is. Like they'll start putting them in the critical path a little bit in the second half of the game. <laughs> um, but, uh, I found my first one, I think it was sometime after the blood starved beast. So I'd been playing, you know, I was, uh, 
that's not a huge way into the game, but your first time through, you probably spent mm. a lot of time getting up to that point because uh, the game's real hard. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I still hadn't really caught on to the other side of what was going on. Like, you know, you find items like Madman's Knowledge and stuff like that. And like, if you look through the the uh, messages at all, you'll see stuff like words like cosmos and uh, and el- uh, ancient ones or elder things or something like that. I was like, oh, that, that's weird. Uh, and then I finally found one of the brain suckers, and it's cool because he has his hood on. So he just kind of looks like this person with long hair or, or a stringy beard or something like that. And then he grabs you, and <laughs> this giant tentacle thing comes out of his face and uh, goes into your head, and he starts sucking out all your uh, insight. And I was like, this is weird and awesome. This is the best <laughs> thing ever. And that's when I kind of realized uh, what the game was going to start fainting towards. Um, so, yeah, I just... I absolutely love these things because, and they're, I mean, they're easy to parry. They're fun to fight and uh, all that, all that good, uh, um, uh, mob kind of stuff that makes them good. Yeah. These guys, um, that first encounter, uh, it is a faint. I mean, he's hidden around a corner, uh, basically. And you're left kind of going through a gateway and you can see a carrying crow. I, I, if I recall correctly, and there's there's no obvious like path progression at that point. Um, there's a there's a door you can see once you walk into the um, the little uh, sort of a cul-de-sac, I guess, um, a doorway off to the left. And if you are not running but sort of just walking in beeline toward that door, yeah, he just jumps you from behind. And you know, at this point, I mean, you could conceivably lose all of your insight. And um, mm. I mean that that would become a handicap if you're relying on uh, good old co-op for the for the bosses. <laughs> but yeah, I I think when I found these guys first, I knew what the design was, what it was hinting at, um, just for the the creature. But it just was so far you know left of field for what was going on that it, I didn't even think it occurred to me to like they were doing something else other than the beasts at this point. Uh, which is interesting. I mean, the when it when it kind of pops up later in game, it was it, you know pretty well blindsided me. I mean, I, I went into this too um, as blind as I as I could. Um, really, I just saw the uh, Project B stuff and I was hooked. Um, I think from that point, uh, from the original uh, E3 announcements. Uh, yeah, it's it's a crazy little guy, um, Cameron. <laughs> what's your take yeah, on these? Um, yeah, no, I really love the brain suckers. Uh, I encountered my first one a little later in the game than you guys. I didn't find that uh, little optional side area on my first time through. I found it subsequent times, but I encountered them. The first one is, I think, at Bergenworth after that. Or there's also one outside the clinic, but that's also a little weird and optional. Um but yeah, no, um, that was the point where I'd sort of started to realize what was going on, but then they just went straight out and it's like, yeah, no, uh, it's not just fur and fangs. There are tentacles and eyes as well. Um, but my favorite thing about them is, um, so they do the grab attack. They stick a tentacle in your face and start sucking out your inside. Uh, but when they're done, the tentacle becomes sort of this like almost pointed wizard's hat for them. It sort of just floats <laughs> all filled up with fizzy lifting insight uh, <laughs> and sort of just bobs around on top of their head like a little signpost uh which is quite a nice contrast because before that of course they have the hoods down over their head and you know once they do this grab attack the hoods thrown back you can see the full extent 
of this uh, very strange tentacle being. Yeah, I think they're quite fun. They're a nice design, uh, and they move interestingly. Uh, the paralysis beams are a little annoying, but with enough practice, you can dodge them. Yeah, that's about it for me. All right, how about you, Leonard? Uh, so I encountered my first brain sucker uh, at the bottom of the Healing Church workshop after uh, that fun bit of platforming uh, <laughs> in that in that section of the uh, of the uh, cathedral ward, and that brain sucker is actually hunched over and turned away from you with its hood up, so yeah. it just kind of looks like an emaciated man. It's by a <laughs> by a a well i think yeah and so yeah. yeah it turns around and it's a uh speaking of reveals it's a great reveal where it's like oh hey you're horrible and charging <laughs> after me <laughs> um and uh it it was uh, a bit jarring but it's uh not that much of a a, a struggle um, I managed to scrape by that one without actually having it uh, suck out any insight. Um, the thing that I love about the brain suckers, as far as their the design goes, is the fact that the tops of their heads, where the, the tentacle extends from, is mm. actually stitched up. Oh, okay. I didn't like, notice that. Yeah, like it, uh, like something was implanted in their skulls and then stitched back together. Their scalp was stitched back together, and uh, I think uh, it was I encountered it before I found my first Madman's insight uh, wow. or Madman's knowledge, and I, there was an instant correlation between the two. When, once I picked mm-hmm. that up, I was like, "Oh, hey, that's just." kind of a more advanced version of what's happening to this skull because mm. all of the tentacles extending out of the face are just shooting out of like the mouth parts of, mm. of the brain suckers face. I was like, okay, this isn't just about werewolves and potentially vampires. There's something crazy going on here. <laughs> Matt. What do you got? What do I got? Well, uh, my from memory, my first encounter was in Bergenworth, the one that's sort of to the mm. left side of the area, the one that's sort of slightly hidden away. Um, admittedly, I don't think I really come across him straight away because um, I was sort of on a high after one shot in the shadows of Yarnum and then went straight into <laughs> Bergenworth, dealt with the, the, the flying creatures. And um, I think from memory i was more taken aback by the celestial centipede that's in the background of um bergenworth i was, it was more like a it was like a bit of a ooh, pretty light sort of thing moment when, and i um sort of ignored, really ignored the brain sucker so i had a sort of situation where i sort of cleared the area out before going into the building and then came across the brain sucker and for some reason they're sort of mechanically they're a bit of a a uh, Achilles heel for me. I really struggle. I've always struggled with brain suckers in this game. I don't, even though you think you know what they're going to do, I just can't seem to get the timing right. They're the sort of, I spend most of my time 
when dealing with them going, oh no, leave me, no, let go of me. <laughs> I think that's how I deal with them. And, um, and uh, I, but I think, you know, over time I've learned how to deal with them. I think design wise, I, because my sort of cosmic horror knowledge pre Bloodborne, it was next to nothing. I didn't really suspect. I could see obviously that something more like the other, you other guys have said that, to do with werewolves you know it's moving on from that but you know for me i couldn't link it up because of you know my knowledge in that regard um i could i was aware of you know things like cthulhu and such like and i could sit mm. i could you know get that vibe because obviously you know facially they look very similar in that regard um i mean for me the 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 wizard's hat is more of a for me it looked more like a quiff it looks like a johnny bravo uh, thing going on um you're never going to look at him the same way now. He's a gangster. Uh, he's got sunglasses exactly. go, on. Huh, huh, give me your insight. Um, <laughs> they, uh... <laughs> hey, where was I? Uh, yeah, they. I, I mean, I think you know, thematically and design-wise, I think I think they're great. Like I said, they're for me, they're a love-hate relationship. I hate dealing with them in the game, but I think they're they're fantastic. I the one that I think caused me the most problems is the one in the upper cathedral ward which uh in the building with the the werewolves that are prowling down the bottom of the stairs um he must i i tell you what it was the amount of insight he took for me i must it was like candy i was there throwing throwing insight to him because he he took all of it away and and um which is quite ironic knowing later on in that level how much i was going to have to summon for a certain boss that mm. we may talk about mm. later. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, but I think you know. But yeah, like I said, I think thematically they're they're really good, and I think they're a good indicator of what is about to come. Yeah. All right. Sounds like we got the elithids uh, <laughs> uh, covered. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Cameron, it's uh, <laughs> the ball has been passed to you. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm going to keep rolling on this insight train because uh, my pick is the Celestial Minions. Mm. <laughs> Possibly Bloodborne's cutest monster. Uh, I guess that depends <laughs> on If there's such a thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so these guys, for reference, are sort of little blobby blue mushroom men. Uh, they come in bold and very tentacly haired versions. Uh, <laughs> um, and the they're uh, they're just they're just chill little guys, you know. They hang out in places where you don't expect to find them, such as uh, I was wandering around the Forbidden Woods, and you know, I turned a corner. I'm like, oh, there's a little passageway here. I'll see where this goes. Oh, there's there's something just around this bend. I can bend. I can barely see it. I'll just peek out, and it's a little alien. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I, I, I um I bought a werewolf game and there is a small blue alien just uh just waving his hands at me and oh he uh he shot me in the face with a with a laser from his head. <laughs> these these guys are absolutely fantastic. I, something about them is really comedic to me. Just like the general shape, they've got this very soft, big, blobby skull and then they've got these long dangly arms with these big soft looking hands they just they look all woobly and sort of fun to me i really love them <laughs> but then uh like they're, they're actually, yeah <laughs> but they're um but 
as you sort of continue exploring along that path in the Forbidden Woods where you first find them, you find out there's a a bit more of a sinister backstory to them because that's the path that leads all the way back up into Central Yarnum into Yosefka's clinic where you find that uh, someone has been making these out of people, which is sort of one of the... It's an optional side area, but it's sort of one of the big defining clues for oh, something really weird and twisted and definitely not about werewolves is going on here because, hey, I sent a couple of people to Yosefka's clinic. There are no people, but there are a couple of these little blue blobby things that keep dropping items related to the people I sent there. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And indeed, Yosefka herself gets turned into one by the, uh, the fake Yosefka, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you yeah, know, I really like them. They're a cute, fun design. They are a really good hint for the sort of deeper madness of the story of Bloodborne. And yeah, no, they're just really cute. I love them so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave, what do you think of them? Uh, yeah, uh, I don't really have too much to add. You kind of covered the uh, the key encounters with them. Um, I will say though that. Um, when I encountered him in the, in the Forbidden Woods, um, I think I accidentally stumbled into like the sort of speedrun shortcut where I fell off the top of the cliff and didn't die uh, and kind of found a little, yeah. a little water there. Um, so yeah, I did the same thing as you. I was just was uh, taking my time, uh, edging down the pathway, and then yeah, there comes a little wibbly-wobbly guy. Um, <laughs> I totally was... I don't know. It just threw me for a loop and I didn't attack him. I just kind of mm. stood there and I was like, what's, what's he doing? And he just has his hands out and they just kind of like walk toward you. I don't know. It doesn't look threatening. Um, and maybe that's, yeah, uh, yeah. that's the, the, the issue, um, or the, the design mm. genius, um, is that these guys are disarming, you know? Um, yeah. and he walks up and I, I don't recall him hitting for very much damage. They kind of just like snap nah. you. Um, yeah. So of course, you know, you walk, yeah, a few meters further, and there's the there's the guy that looks like he stuck his fingers in a light socket, you know, with his <laughs> tentacles, <laughs> tentacled hair waving waving to and fro, and yeah, while well, that guy started glowing and fired a beam, I was like, well, <laughs> let's just just kill these guys, um, you know, mm. they're a threat now, uh, versus yeah, yeah. just that un- that initial thought of like, oh, maybe it's like an NPC, I don't know, what's going with his blue. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean that's that's kind of how I uh, ran into those guys. Um, how about you, Stephen? Mm. Yeah, uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one who thinks they're cute and wants to give them a hug every oh, time good. I see them. Yeah. Like I just kind of want to hold one for a little bit. Yeah. I feel like it'd be really fun. Mm. <laughs> just get little plushes for these guys. Oh man, I would oh, love that yes. so much. Oh man. Uh, you guys keep your plush Pikachu's. I want my plush celestial emissaries. Um <laughs> but uh the yeah, I also came across them in the uh, in the Forbidden Woods and at that point I didn't know how far they were gonna lean into the cosmic stuff, so when I saw this I audibly laughed out loud. Because <laughs> uh, it's like, what is that? <laughs> like that's so good. I did the same thing where I didn't attack him and like, you know, I tested to see if I could lock on to him and I could. So I was like, oh, I'll let him slap me around a bit. These guys look fun. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the ones with the tentacles come out from around the corner and 
you can actually see magic uh, or, you know, uh, an arcane art or whatever you want to call it in the game. Uh, so, and I had no uh, idea that kind of stuff was there. Um, so when that laser popped out, it was like that double whammy of like, this is so ridiculous. What is this game? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I absolutely love them. And speaking of their goof, general goofiness, my favorite thing is whenever they uh, they raise both of their hands in the air and then run at you. Yes. Like real, <laughs> yeah. They just like wave them back and forth. I just want a gif of that playing for forever <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> so yeah, I love these guys. They're so good. Mm. Mm. Leonard, how about you? They are goofy. They are the goofiest <laughs> thing in this game. They are Muppets in a cosmic <laughs> horror game flailing around like Kermit the Frog. They are amazing. They make little wub-wub noises just by being in proximity <laughs> to them. <laughs> they're fantastic. And I actually, uh, their awkwardness um, is kind of fantastic to me because it kind of indicates that they're not supposed to exist on this plane of reality. Like they're not suited mm. for it. Yeah. Um, and they just kind of like they're gelatinous and they look like they should be in water or just mm. in a space that doesn't have any gravity. And they're kind of like ineffectual existing <laughs> as a physical thing. So they can only really do any damage to you by using arcane powers and um, that was, like, a really fantastic revelation because I had started to, like, really get this cosmic horror vibe. And so when I stumbled across them in the Forbidden Woods, I, like, almost everyone else found them in the at the bottom of the Forbidden Woods. I was like, oh, I was like, well, uh, I guess it is cosmic horror, but man, what a goofy, <laughs> goofy way to reveal it with these floppy little Muppet things just <laughs> flailing around everywhere. They're they're fantastic. They are adorable, um, mm. but man, I, it was just a, I did laugh when I saw them too. They they're they're, <laughs> they're the they are silly to the point of almost being dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, almost. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Matt? Well, just to echo your opinions, I think also they're a bit of a joke, but in, in a good way. Um, I first came across them in the um, uh, in the Forbidden Woods, like the rest of you. And I must admit, when I first saw one, right, put, putting this into context, in real life, a few weeks ago, I saw while I was driving in the morning, I saw a guy taking a leak on someone's front lawn <laughs> about half 10 in the morning. And it was one of those sort of reactions. You know, when you look at it, you think, is there a guy peeing on someone's lawn right in the middle of the morning, you know, right in the middle of the day? That's the sort of reaction when I saw mm. the first of the, I was like, is that an alien? You know, it was, it was it's so <laughs> out of context at that point. You know, I mean, I'm, again, Saying that I don't really know much from a cosmic horror point pre Bloodborne, I, I, they, I just couldn't believe what I saw. It was definitely like a, like you know when you see a rare bird in a tree somewhere, like oh, is, that, is that a bald eagle? Is that, okay, what's it doing there? No, uh, it was it was one of those sort of um, 
situations where I, I just didn't know how to react. I think when you deal with them later as the, the from a boss point of view as the celestial emissary that again when they're when they're all the little ones are chasing you in that little arena to me it's similar to online when you see people when you know when people are surrounded by puppies and they're like get off me puppies and they're all licking them it's a bit like that you know it's like that's gonna be in the future that's gonna be you know in this world that's actually gonna be a thing they'll just put some you know put someone from yarnum and then just get them you know surrounded with uh, with uh, little minions and they'll uh, carry them off and lick them to death but uh, no, they're they're such a bizarre creature. They're great. I think it, it's yeah. yeah one of those another, one of those uh, monsters in this that makes this game great. I, you know, again, it shows that that not everything is a teeth bearing, you know, snarling wants to rip your face off sort of creature. It's, I mean, obviously they can be hostile, but I think they're brilliant in their own different way. And yeah, plushies all the way. But let's let's get it out of there. <laughs> Eighteen months later. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there's our other tentative episode title: "Get Off Me, Puppies," <laughs> <laughs> which also works. And just talking about it suits yes. very well. <laughs> oh dear! All right. Well, that's those little guys out of the way. Um, Leonard, you're you're up. Oh man, I decided to pick everybody's favorite monster in Bloodborne, the Winter Lantern, because everybody loves Frenzy. Right? (laughs) Everyone everyone loves cuddles. Mm. Mm. They just (laughs) want a hug, okay? Yeah, they actually do hug you. That's great. Uh, So, uh, the Winter Lantern uh, is typically first encountered in the Nightmare Frontier. Uh, which is uh, basically a side quest given to you by everybody's favorite jerk, Patches, because, of course, Patches is involved in Bloodborne because Miyazaki. (laughs) Um, So the Nightmare Frontier is terrible. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, From from a good standpoint, it kind of gets the point across of, like, what the Scourge really does to an area on a conceptual level. Um, so you deal with, like, terrible beast monsters, you deal with these awful giants, you deal with these really disgusting, wormy, Mm. parasitic things, uh, and you're heading towards the home stretch, and you hear a little hum, and you turn a corner, and there's just a brain with eyeballs just wandering around and you're like oh well that's awful to look at but i'll go kill it (laughs) and as soon as it sees you you start getting frenzy and uh (laughs) and everybody instantly hates the winter lantern it's just uh it's a brain on a body with eyes that runs at you when it sees you and just hugs and kisses you with its myriad of little mouths to death. Um, they're great. I, uh, I, I don't hate Frenzy nearly as much as everyone else. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I think it's because I managed to uh, figure out my, my uh, insight level to uh, mitigate Frenzy. I've, I've 
actually l- managed to consistently parry Winter Lanterns and have uh, my frenzy proc while I was uh, doing a visceral. So I mm-hmm. don't have the hatred for them, but man, they're a fantastically just like they're the opposite of the celestial minions. It is something that looks horrible and threatening and alien. Um, they're fantastic. I think they're fantastic monsters. Definitely. Dave. Yeah. These guys, um, that first encounter, I don't know. I'm trying to, trying to reach back through the years. Now it feels like, um, it, it went one of two ways. I either saw it and just ran up and just killed it before it could do anything, or it frenzied me to death the first time, and then I ran up and killed it before I could do anything. So <laughs> one of those two <laughs> scenarios happened. Um, but I I don't think there's anything else that frenzies you prior to that, or at least not to that like speed where it fills up so quickly. Um, I'm not even sure I knew what that meter was just, Mm -hmm. uh, that idea of any of the souls games, something filling up is usually bad. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) I tried to avoid it. Um, maybe that's, maybe that's memories of, uh, being curse afflicted and, uh, just not wanting to, to die and come back, you know, um, like hamstrung or something. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I can say that I've been, I've suffered a few, uh, frenzy explosion deaths. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the, the Winter Lanterns on a whole, uh, I know that first encounter, I didn't know what, I didn't parse what it was. Like, I didn't get a chance to look at it. In fact, I think even with the later encounters, it's just a, either run past or it's a one and done, um, deal. And, I didn't look at them really until um, maybe look, getting the, um, the strategy guide, and then you, you know you can take a little bit more time and um, you get some close-ups um, of the distinctive enemies and just their their design is very specifically um, uh, evocative of uh, other characters. Um, I'll I'll let you guys give your uh, encounter opinions before we. Maybe dig into that a little bit. Um, Steven, how'd this go? Uh, yeah. I know I, I didn't get kicked down into the uh, into the poison and then have to go through the Winter Lantern. I think like a lot of people did uh, in that first part of the Nightmare Frontier, I, I found my way around and, and went down the safe way. And yeah, hearing that humming for the first time, because you know, in, in all of these games, when there there's not music a whole lot outside of, of uh, boss rooms or maybe one area uh, per game. And so as soon as I heard that, I was like, well, that's not good. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and the way like it kind of like I actually was able to get a pretty good look at it, because if you if you sneak around the the one like little side path that's off of that cliff, you can you can see it pacing back and forth very slowly. And I'm like, that thing looks awful uh, and didn't <laughs> fight it and ran past it. And I actually didn't fight any of these until maybe my third time through the game. Because uh, the only other place I think in the base game that you could find them is in a really, really obscure path uh, in the Nightmare of Mensis. Um, That's right, yeah. On the way to the the brain of Mensis. Mm. 
mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And since, you know, I'm running through <clears> there trying not to get frenzied anyway, you know, I wasn't really looking out for you know, shortcuts to jump off of elevators to. Um, <laughs> so it took me a while to actually really get a grasp on what in the world these things even were. And it seemed like the wiki, uh, the wikis online were taking a very long time to, to get any kind of information on them. But yeah, like what it, Having now uh, kind of mess with them a little bit more, I absolutely love these things. I like the idea of like an enemy just looking at you <laughs> can hurt you because of how awful and horrible that thing looks. And then also, you know, the the interesting lore implications for what the design of this creature actually is, uh, is really cool too. So, yeah. I, I'm generally in favor of Winter Lanterns. And like you, Leonard, I, I don't hate them like it seems everyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I guess um, a, a, a short um, aside, the sound design in this game, um, I don't know about you guys, but I played probably 95% of this with um, like surround sound headphones on. That's I recommend that to, to any listeners. Mm-hmm. If you go into this Definitely. game and in a lot of the Dark Souls, um, just the ambient noises. Um, there's so many sound cues on a lot of these enemies um, that especially on like first playthrough, you can avoid or at least be clued in something's around the corner that totally gets like washed out or lost, um, you know, in an open air um, speaker environment. There's, there's a lot more um, under there and a lot of time that they put just into the sound design. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's that, <coughs> I guess. Um, Cameron. Yeah. I like the winter lanterns from a sort of, visual design and audio design soundpoint as well from a gameplay design soundpoint not as crazy about them um i don't hate them hate them but uh it it's not fun having to run back and forth behind a rock to sort of just like eke out because uh sort of eke out your life bar and not get one shot killed by frenzy because uh all throughout my first playthrough i didn't realize that your level of insight scaled frenzy damage on you so it's actually all frenzy build-up speed, I think it is, maybe. Uh, so it's much worse going through with a high insight because uh, you get frenzied more often or more painfully. Um, so they were a real pain uh, in the butt for me the first time through. But from a pure visual design point, they're really, really good because um, it's you know this slim uh, feminine figure and then this massive brain uh, covered in eyes but it's made up of two very helpful character models because the body is the model of the doll from the hunter's dream and the brain is made out of messengers. Uh, So it's sort of taking that feeling of safety and comfort and turning it into something actively hostile to you, like a literal nightmare. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, how about you? I think for me, they, I saw Blood Echo uh, Cameron's thoughts. See what I did there? Um, <laughs> where I think thematically and visually they're much more impressive than they are mechanically in the game. I think for me it's a shame that for a lot of people I would imagine that the whole frenzy situation probably overshadows what they are in the game in the sense that you a lot of people probably are so focused on not dying from frenzy and, and such like that they don't actually appreciate, you know, the actual look and design of the, of the uh, winter lantern, which like I said, I think it's a real shame because they're, they're such a good design. They're so it's, you know, it's that beautiful yet freaky combination that, mm-hmm. that, you know, you just look at it and think, what is it? You know, it's all on so many different levels. <laughs> um, I mean, I, 
similar to Stephen, I didn't really deal with them particularly in the Nightmare Frontier. I probably just noped out of there and just ran past them. And I, from from memory, I the, my biggest issue with them was when I was uh, trying to deal with the brain of Mensis. Because I think from that's one way you can get the the first blood rock in the mm. um, in the game. Yeah. So you have to sort of. It was literally like a gauntlet where you you, know, you get your arm with sedatives and you know the most uh, frenzy resistant gear in the game and, and literally just bombing it around them. I think I was to some degree. I think I used the um, is it the blue elixir, the thing that makes them makes you invisible slightly or harder yeah, spot. Yeah. It was it was one of those. I yeah, I was just I ran past them. I I think they're such. I mean, they're such a good enemy, but. I'm not a fan of frenzy. I think it's it's too much of a frustrating mechanic, really, because it's so it's not described in very very well in the game. But I think, like I said, visually uh, they're fantastic. I think you know the way, the way they wear the dolls' outfit. Um, you know, and you know, even if you look at the description of them, they're they're effectively the they're made up of the. The, they're made of mess. Me, sorry, get my words out. Made up of messengers, messengers effectively. Yeah. You know that's that's fantastic. You know in in the lore and such like. So no, I I think they're a great enemy, and I think they're they're ultimately one of the most memorable enemies you'll come across in this game. I think everyone knows. Yeah. That. And, and also, let's appreciate the name of them, Winter Lantern. That is a fantastic name for an enemy. Not and again amongst many in this game, I think the, the game has some of the best names for creatures <laughs> out of a lot. Of them. And I think Winter Lantern is one of them because you would never imagine that being the name for him. Because again, Winter Lantern that make you know that make that doesn't sound like what you think it's going to be. It's you know, it, it's like it's going to be warm and fuzzy. Yeah, you know, minion. Um, but I think you know, based on that, they 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 just they give that um that you know with the singing they give the vibe away of um what's they called like mermaids you know the sirens you know yeah. you know beckoning uh you know uh, sailors to their death effectively which is what they're doing but they're doing hunters to their death um but no i think standout enemy uh, i think you know it's a better place to have them in the game <laughs> despite the frenzy <laughs> nonsense with them <laughs> Well, that's the uh, the Winterland covered. Um, Matt, what's your uh, what's your creature pick? <sighs> there was many to choose from, but I've gone for my love hate relationship with Abritus, daughter of the cosmos. Um, I say love hate because I hate fighting her because I think in the game she was the one boss in the base game anyway that I had the most trouble with. But I think I love because I think visually, thematically, design-wise, she is fantastic. I think it's definitely one of the better creatures in this game. Um, you, you know, you come across her in the Upper Cathedral Ward. Um, I, I think I must have come across her by accident. I don't because I'm not the sort of person that likes to spoil these things. So I don't remember looking her up. But I must have just naturally come across her. Um, and I think when you take the elevator down, I mean, I think you can sense, especially when you hit the bottom um, and about to go through the, you know, into the actual arena that you deal with her, that you're going to, you know, this is going to be a, a boss fight. Uh, it's the fact, is, you know, it's the little things, the fact that it's called the altar of despair. I mean, again, that's a great name. That's, you know, and it, and it sort of summarizes her as a creature. I mean, I mean, design wise, she I don't even know where you start with her. I mean, uh, she's, I mean, on so many different levels that she's sort of hunched over. She's her head and face. I've 
her described in things that are probably a bit too inappropriate for this podcast. <laughs> um, so I won't say that, but you know, the, the, cause effectively she's a, a you know, a, a God that's been left to, you know, to in this sort of arena. And it, I, f- I feel sorry for her as a, as a enemy, even though I didn't feel sorry for her when I was trying to beat her for the 20th time. on <laughs> some, <laughs> some it. But I think thematically, you know, it, this is a real major point in the, the whole cosmic horror side of the, you know, the second half of the game uh, that she's a, you know, like a, a, a like I said earlier, a fallen God that's been left to, you know, she, she's, you know, looks like she had a, you know, blood is taken to, you know, to, for all the other parts of it. And it, I just think ultimately she's a, you know, a pathetic creature, but I, but I feel actually sorry for her. I don't know why I just, <laughs> I know that's wrong, but on so many levels, thematically, I just feel sorry for her. She's just been left there, and you know, even even in her demeanor, she's hunched over, and the way she fights you, she, it, it doesn't. It's not efficient the way she fights you. She sort of flails, um, and you know, she's got her wings. Are, you know, don't look like they would ever be used again. You know, and such like. So, uh, yeah, I you know, I think she stands out. I think for me she summarizes the second half of the game in on lots of levels, you know, more than some of the other ones like moon presence later in the game. You know, I think she, she definitely, you know, summarizes it. Uh, What do you think about it, Dave? Yeah. uh, This I'm 95% sure that I went into this particular boss battle with that, uh, that memory leak bug because uh, (laughs) two attempts, um, and I, and I, she was attacking. There was no like indication that something was off. Not to me. Um, mm. Did the laser beam, the head slam, kind of just going through all the animations. It just felt like they were less aggressive than um, other people have like talked about. Uh, and I never, yeah. I never went through and watched any videos of, of anyone that was struggling. Um, I think I was just using the just the great sword. Just yeah. Getting a lot of backstabs. Um, although at the time, I will say, just uh, design-wise, I wasn't sure <laughs> which part was the front and which part was the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's a little bit ambiguous. Um, uh, and I guess uh, to speak a little bit about the arena, uh, this altar of despair, um, she's like mourning at uh, Rom's head. Uh, mm. So yeah, that. Uh, yeah, this this was a one of the few bosses um, that just kind of I guess putting myself in the place of the character. I I didn't really want to do the fight. I mean, it's sort of optional anyway. Uh, mm. But did, when the when the bosses start out and they're not aggressive, it's just kind of puts it you know it puts you in that sif uh, mood to, to not really. Mm. <laughs> do I need to do this fight? Nah. I think it was just more the completionist. I want to beat all the bosses, so I just did it anyway. But um, yeah, I didn't even know that there was people having trouble with this boss until way later. I think I was probably in New Game Plus, and everyone was raging about um, Eretus, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't have that problem?" <laughs> Steven, how'd this go for you? Uh, yeah, I was definitely one of those people that had a problem with this boss. Um, this is probably the boss that I had the hardest time with with all of FromSoft's uh, games. 
Um, and until the the old hunters DLC dropped, this is actually my favorite boss that they had designed. Um, mm-hmm. li- everything about this boss is, is something like I think from how unexpected it was. Um, whenever I finally came up on it, like like you were saying, um, this this feels like the culmination of the cosmic horror side of this game. Like coming in mm-hmm. and and actually is is technically a great one, but it is one that is man-made. And and by this point, you know, we fought the one reborn, which is a different version of a man-made great one. Um, and then this is, I, and the same thing with the celestial emissary. That's a member of the choir who ascended. <clears throat> this is the mm-hmm. first great one that we actually get to see. Um, and granted it's been abandoned. So it's probably definitely one of the weaker uh, of, of those beings, but finally getting to see it and like everything about its design, like it is, it's the perfect like Lovecraftian design. Like you yeah. read some of Lovecraft's stuff, and you're like, "How on earth would you visualize any of this without <laughs> it just looking so stupid?" Um, and then it turns out Abreedus is it. Like yeah. this is the this is the quintessential of that, but it it doesn't feel derivative in the way that you know like a million Cthulhu memes do. Mm-hmm. Um, like it mm-hmm. feels very much of its own thing. Everything about this fight, I was one of uh, those weirdos that liked not being able to read the bosses because their anatomy was so strange. Um, <laughs> like, because it, it just seems so fascinating to me that they were able to design this stuff. Like, to think, like, uh, especially with the breedist, like, it feels like you are fighting this being that just wants you to go away, as opposed to something that has AI that's trying to kill you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because it's the same thing. Altar of despair. Like when I walked in and said altar of despair. I'm like, oh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, I'll just live here now. And you can because it's like you guys said, it's it's non-aggressive. So you can just walk up to Abridas and, and have a sit down with her mm. uh, for yeah. forever. So, <laughs> um, uh, that's just never the <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the real shit. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I absolutely love, love, love a Breedus, uh, in every mm, way. Definitely. Um, and even like the second phase of the fight, whenever she starts doing like the, the damage aura around her and like, you could hear this ringing in your head whenever you're inside this like field of like cosmos that she has summoned. Like, it's just, oh, I, I love this boss so much guys. <laughs> yeah. It's real good. Definitely. Cameron, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, um, I didn't have a whole lot of trouble with the breeders. I think it was six or seven attempts my first time round, but, uh, I really love the location. You know, it's like, uh, if you think geographically about it, like you take a, an elevator from the top floor of the Grand Cathedral and just go down. So this is like the church's basement is the, uh, the stuff they, they've hidden away for you not to look at. Um, <laughs> You know, the, the church has Cthulhu in the basement, basically. But I know the first impression I got when I sort of walked into this room is, you know, Abridus is sort of in the far background and all you can see is like a tail and wings. And I had a moment of, am, am I going to fight Seath? Uh, <laughs> there's, this, there's this big pale winged thing in the background. I'm like, is Seath here? Is, is this what's happening? Is, this, is there going to be a celestial dragon? And uh, not quite, but... I really, I really do like her design. The sort of the big round head with the very stubby polypy tentacles, and there's actually you know two big green eyes in there. Um, Matt was kind enough to put a photo in the chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
No, she's got a great design. Um, the, the story of her being sort of left behind by all the other great ones is kind of touching in a way, mm-hmm. uh, especially with she's perfectly non-hostile as long as you don't start a fight. Uh, she just kind of wants to be left alone to grieve, uh, locked down in the basement, and that's a very sort of Lovecraftian, tragic, weird horror storytelling, I feel. Yeah, she's very good. And Leonard. Uh, so, Abritus is fantastic. I didn't have uh, nearly as hard a time dealing with her as a lot of people. I think I managed to take her down with my second attempt. Nice. Only by virtue of really kind of getting caught in her weird geometry, uh, which is... <laughs> is really easy to do considering that once again, she's just a massive tentacles and polyps and vestigial looking wings. Um, I love the fact that she looks like she's very alien, but she also looks like a cluster of coral, especially Mm. in the (laughs) face region. She it's, it's it. There's a really weird kind of, almost one-to-one that Bloodborne does with a lot of its uh, eldritch monstrosities that feels like it either came from outer space or like the deepest, darkest parts of the ocean. And you're never yeah. really sure which which way they're going with that. Uh, but she, yeah, she's fantastic. And one of the things that I always found interesting about her uh, was so all the blood from the healing church, the healing church is the source of the blood. And I always thought that because of her location uh, in relation to the Grand Cathedral, that the uh, headless maiden statue on the bottom floor of the cathedral was actually a romanticized uh, representation <laughs> of a <Britus. laughs> oh. holding holding the pot, pouring, basically pouring the mm. sacramental blood, but that they couldn't, you know, depict this like hideous monstrosity. So they <laughs> romanticized her by this headless angel delivering these blessings upon uh, the parishioners. I also really love that uh, she is located by what is generally considered to be like a joke fight because the (laughs) celestial emissary Mm. is encountered directly before her. Um, And I think it's really good at disarming the player because you're like, oh, what? This is what the heel, this is what the choir is after. These goofy little, once again, goofy, floppy, muppety things. And then you. stumble into actually encountering no this is what a great one is this monstrosity that you can't even wrap your head around um her reveal is actually great too because a lot of i think a lot of people assume that you're looking at her front and then hit her mm, and then yeah. she just slowly turns around and you're like oh you're <laughs> coral and pomegranate and <laughs> tentacles and wings you are you are a, an actual indescribable horror and i think it's really fantastic and i think she's great i think the breedus is fantastic yeah 
Definitely. She she comes across like in some of the Resident Evil games where you know when there's transformations and they just turn into whatever the designer decided you know that mm. day. It, she's similar to that where she you almost think that the design of her is is random, but it really yeah. isn't. There is there is mm. def, you know definite design way she's been done, but because there's so much going on with her on you know on all of her design you're not like you're not sure where's the front where's the back i mean that's a that in itself is a bizarre thing but Mm -hmm. yeah i think that when they designed her they just like just throw everything at her you know and let's really summarize how you know what what this game has become from a from a cosmic horror point of view but she's she's fantastic yes she's she's really intricately designed without being busy i think Hmm. Well, sounds like we uh, got her covered uh, pretty well, and um, that that brings us to the end of our uh, our creature discussion. Um, now, originally, uh, when I kind of brought up this uh, the idea of this episode, uh, I wanted to get into this beast versus the cosmic horde that the game uh, turns into. A lot of other podcasts and just general discussion um, has focused really hard on the cosmic horror because that i mean that is the um the climax of the game i mean everything kind of leads toward that and that's the source uh really of all the the beasthood so it's it's the disease rather than uh, the symptoms um that we you know that we encounter my my thought really was to focus on the the lesser covered um idea of beasthood and kind of what that means to us, um, a, a lot of comments that I've seen have sort of pointed toward had the game not gone into the cosmic horror angle, like it wouldn't have sold as well or it wouldn't have drawn as large of a crowd. But from all, for all intents and purposes, they, they kept that card hidden. This was yeah. werewolves. It was mm, crazy yep. top hats. You know, it was that Victorian setting <laughs> without, without you know, melting over into steampunk. Um, but that's what pulled us in. That Project Beast was, I think, the hook. You know, what that turned into, I mean, that's great. But I went into this fully, you know, I'm dialed up to 11 let's do this i love you know werewolves and vampires and that kind of thing and just to see something that wasn't uh the order <laughs> come out <laughs> <laughs> what you know what that could be um in the hands of from software i, I wanted that to continue um i have no problems with they with you know, what they eventually did with it. And I like that just as mm. much. I mean, I, I was into Lovecraft and all that, all that stuff you know, back in high school and well before um, any of this, these kind of games came out. But uh, yeah, I, I wish they had just can, you know, ran with it and did that as the core theme. Um, how about you guys? Uh, what was your uh, thoughts on that? And what this may have, you know, meant had they, given us you know a, a beasthood game uh steven um that this being about you know seeing a screenshot of a werewolf uh and a top hat 
is effectively <laughs> what sold me on this game. I was like, that sounds <laughs> awesome. Like, <laughs> like I, I like the weird, the, they, cause the dark souls games, they, they don't really get to go into horror a whole lot. Um, and so I was like, this is such a cool, weird theme for, for from software to go in much less for video games in general. Uh, I feel like, you know, I don't really get to see a lot of, you know, Victorian, uh, uh, kind of London era type of stuff without it just being, you know, steampunk, you know, that being what it may be. Um, I don't know if, if, uh, if the game itself would have been affected, like, obviously this is the story that they wanted to tell. And I think it's genius that they put these two, what, you know, to, I I would have never thought to have connected cosmic horror with more visceral kind of um like american werewolf in london like i would have never ever have thought to put those two things together and then tie them in as intrinsically as they wound up doing uh with this game um that being said i I, i'm with you dave like i would like to see them just go with with the beast of thing and if they do a bloodborne 2 i kind of hope they explore more of that like the what they started doing with like gascoin uh and his story um, and then, um, like that side of the madness of being blood drunk, um, that, that visceral, you know, no pun intended nature to, uh, what, <laughs> what the scourge can actually be is really interesting. And I think that there's a lot of really just like, there's a lot to really dig into, like with the, with dark beast Parle and how he, I guess was a creation of, of somebody, I think, um, and like there were all these other Lauren beasts that had like these these parasites living inside of them, and like like I wanted to see uh, more of that kind of angle of it. And again, I, I love Lovecraft and I love Cosmic Core, so I, I very much enjoyed what the game turned into. But yeah, I I don't think I don't know if it would have necessarily been uh, affected one way or the other. I think we would still people would still really love this game. Uh, the only the only other thing I'll say is that um, it was a real bummer to hear people uh, like it was more in like the professional game critics world that I was hearing uh, people who are, you know, the, the game's hard. So you're bouncing off of a lot of those early areas. Um, people were complaining or, or uh, lobbying um, kind of disappointment in how samey the aesthetic was uh, that because they vary like they layer on thick the cobbled stone uh streets and fog and werewolves <laughs> like that is hard like they really pushed that really hard at the beginning of the game um but i liked that so much and i think that served so well once you know you finally come up on one of the celestial uh, minions in the forest where you're just like what the hell is that like this because they 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 commit so hard to the beasthood side of it for the first half of this game. And I'd really like to see him actually carry that all the way through. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, those thoughts. I mean, I also, <laughs> of course, fully agree with that. <laughs> and um, I think if we're looking at what the game has outside of Yarnum, I mean, they, they have Yamamura and the league and everything. And that, all those, the signifiers for those aren't focused on um, the cosmic side. They're coming from outside just to hunt beasts. I mean, that's what they do. And I'd be interested, of course, to see that. The larger world that doesn't, um, of course, center on this cosmic horror. Because it is there. This has been however many years, you know, hundreds, who knows, the, the, 
whole idea of time, you know, being a little bit more malleable. Um, there's, there has to be all this period of, yes, it's just, you know, beasts and, and lycanthropes and all that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so it's there. It's just on the, the fringes, um, sort of in reverse uh, as to, to the way that we come into the, the cosmic horror. Um, Cameron, what about you? Uh, yeah, um, I would really have been interested to see. Um, I love I love Bloodborne as it is because I am a massive fan a of werewolves and b of Cthulhu and uh, so Lovecraft horror in general. But I don't know. There's there's something so nice about the idea of just a very well done, fully fleshed out sort of game focusing on just sort of blood and wolves and potentially vampires with Kanehurst, that kind of stuff. Um, I feel I feel you would end up with very different themes. You know, uh, as soon as you get into the cosmic horror aspect of things, story in general sort of switches into a more of an overall arc. It becomes less character-defined and more, this is what the organization of the church did, and this is what they found out, and this is how this affects the universe or the world or you know, the outside spaces where the great ones live. But if you narrow that focus down and focus on beasts, we have like with Gascon, like you said at the start, these more personal sort of touching human stories about dealing with this disease and this town that reacts to this spreading curse by essentially having the purge once a month. Mm -hmm. Um, And all that kind of stuff, I feel it would be, interesting to have a souls game produced by from, but one that focuses more on the troubles of the characters in the world, as opposed to the history of the world, you know, dark souls and demon souls and blah, blah. And you're going through this world that is past its ruin. It's, there's no taking it back to what it was. And you learn what happened to the world, but you don't always learn what happened to the people. And I feel if they focus more on beasthood, there'd be, more of this person personable feeling to it. I'm not sure if that's the right term. Yeah, maybe there's uh, you know, more personal stories, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. It could have uh, kind of gone the way that uh, Dark Souls 2 did, just a little bit more vignette style and um, digging into mm-hmm. the NPCs. Uh, that's one thing that I, I did think that the game was light on, was giving the NPCs a little bit more character. Um, yeah. And, yeah. The, I mean, the other games do that, too. Uh, I think in hindsight or just going through lore um, videos and, all, and mm. all this, all the community stuff, we've we've created... Um, a, I don't know. It's, I don't know what you would call it. Uh, it's sort of mm-hmm. a, a headcanon that everyone yeah. subscribes to. A um, communal canon. Yeah. And we, you know, filled in backstories and read between the lines, um, maybe more than intended and created these sort of more personal stories, uh, for the NPCs that aren't delivered strictly through dialogue, um, Mm. sort of, I guess, coloring our own lenses, um, looking back, uh, Versus, you know, when you actually go through and do another uh, new game plus or a new game cycle and you run into yeah. these characters and they're they're not characters, but they're a lot less um, filled out than I think 
our own memory has has made them um but yeah i i definitely would have liked to see um, a little bit more development um for the the few people you can have sort of filling up your hub area um in this game mm, mm. uh leonard how about you so the fact that whoever was in charge of Bloodborne's marketing was able to keep the slide into Cosmic Horror a secret the entire time, they should really be applauded considering how much gets leaked and how how things just come out before games even uh, launch. Uh, but the the uh, going back to whether or not uh, this game, uh, Bloodborne, would have been as good if it was just about these uh, beasts instead of uh, leaning into the cosmic horror, I think that it could have been. Um, it would have been very, very different. And I agree that it would have had to lean into uh, the more personal aspects of it, Uh in, uh, involving uh, NPCs that were dealing with the the scourge at the time. Um, FromSoft loves to do its post uh, post apocalypse uh, <laughs> with its games, uh, where uh, once again you can't you don't you don't influence anything that's happened that's dead and gone. Um, so leaning into the the beast scourge would have really had to involve like having NPCs deal with it and possibly succumb to it, and they do that a little in in what we got, but um, they don't lean into uh, the beasthood side of it once it's firmly established that this is uh, this is a cosmic horror story. Yeah. And I would be interested in seeing whether or not a game completely about the scourge of beasts and the various forms that it takes without the influence of, of the the great ones could possibly look like. Yeah, I mean, that would be really interesting um, as you, you sort of hit the nail on the head here. Um, these games, the, the Souls... Uh, Souls likes, or I guess Soulsborn <laughs> series. Um, they they deal with the aftermath. You know, we don't get we get the fallout. That's what we're dealing with. Um, if, if that, it's it's really just sort of the cleanup or what's left, or just mm-hmm. like a, a salvaging of what of humanity of what you can. Uh, I would totally be into seeing a game that dealt with the the initial problem or even the events like a sort of a prologue let us journey through the events that happened to set everything off that would be cool right like the ground zeros of bloodborne that'd be pretty cool yeah um (laughs) of course again they'd have to they'd have to play their hand completely differently because i think you would potentially be you know clued in on what was happening They, you know, they couldn't hide it as much unless, um, again, they, you know, they, they, they did it pretty well with your character being, um, ostensibly an outsider. You know, you're not a native of Yarnum. Mm. Um, you could have played with that in the beginning. Um, 
but uh yeah i mean that would that would be pretty cool to see uh matt what uh what's your take on this well i've been thinking about it a week and i think for me having the cosmic horror element has been good for me personally because I, it, like i've said previously it was something that i didn't have much knowledge of so so when the game sort of transforms into a second half that I had no no knowledge of A, it was going to happen, and B, when it did happen, I had very little knowledge of what was going on anyway. Um, I think that it was... It, I just felt extra spoiled, because at that point, the the whole as first half of the game with the, the werewolf side of things, I, I thought was fantastic. So I was, I was having so much enjoyment out of that, to then go into a second half with being a completely different spin on it and then still learning for, you know, learning new things and, you know, now learning about the Lovecrafty inside of things, which like I said, I had no knowledge of is, you know, has been great for me personally, obviously other people may that with all that, that have that sort of background or, you know, already into that sort of thing, then obviously it may have a different opinion of that. But I think that it's made for me, it's made a great game even greater, but saying that, I still think that if they'd had not gone the cosmic horror route, I would have still been perfectly happy with the, the werewolf theme. Like you, you've mentioned previously that, it, you know, you could go into the intricate details. And I was literally, before you said it, I was literally about to say that, uh, you know, a prequel prologue version would be fantastic. They could use, you know, the, the, the events of, of old yarn and before it happened, you know, we actually go yeah. into actual quite, detailed parts of the area you know you could even go back to i know i'm gonna i'm gonna swear now chalice dungeons you could um, <laughs> use, you know like fumarian side of things you know you could you know you they, they've got a lot of, to play with i think the problem is with the game is they've got i think they just had so much they want to put into it you know the fact that they had probably all these ideas you know and i just think they struggle struggle not in a bad way because like i said it's such a fantastic game but i think that when you've got to, you know, when you've got lots of ideas and themes, etc., you've got there has to be compromise, and I think that's sort of what they did. They probably committed, right? No, we're going to go the cosmic horror route, which then neglect, you know, sort of neglects the werewolf side of things. But you know, it is a game of two halves, really, and I don't consider that a bad thing. You know, it. I know when we talk about Bloodborne two, you know, some people say, oh, we don't want it. You know, it's a, it's a perfectly good you know singular game which i completely agree with if i would be gutted if there's no more bloodborne but i would be also happy you know i think you know leave it as it is it's a masterpiece you know especially with the old hunters on top but i think they've still got a lot they could explore with it i think though they would have to make it a lot more you know it would be the minor details that would make you know the next game or the potential next game important like i said i think like going down to the real nitty-gritty of the characters of what's happened before then i think they could easily pull it off you know i think yeah and i and i hope it happens maybe at e3 (laughs) (laughs) you just look at something like canehurst in that game uh it being such an it's such a small little part of that game and it's so different than everything else in it like that introduces the idea that oh there could also be these weird vampire things um like like that's like that that weird curveball that's totally optional that you know you, I completely missed my first four times through the game because I was I didn't want to look up anything uh, before you know I wanted to try and find everything myself organically um, wow. 
And uh, so, like, I think that they, like you, like you were saying, Matt, like they, it's almost like they had too, not too many ideas, but they had so much they wanted to do with this. Yeah, trying to, that's like, what I meant, yeah. Shove it all into the suitcase. Some some pieces of it were <laughs> stuffing out in different sides. So yeah. we lose a little bit of that here and there. So I yeah. would, like, I personally, like, I want another Bloodborne, like, a lot. I'll be mm-hmm. very disappointed if there's not a Bloodborne 2, because uh, it's, like, legitimately my favorite game in the series. Uh, yeah, like, I, we've spent so long talking about these monsters. That I think it has the best monster selection um, in a video game. <laughs> like, like beat for beat, like, everything is unique and amazing. And so I, I think the idea that we could say, yeah, we'd like another version of this just with the beast part, I think, speaks to that. Yeah, the, the, the strength right. of that idea. I think I think it's a situation where they they enjoyed it. I I can mm. I know you, you you know any any development studio uh, such as From could say anything, and they yeah we enjoyed making this game. But I think it's one of those games where it is a you know, and especially when you contrast it to you know recent game their recent game like Dark Souls <laughs> Three, which is. You know, they've got you know mixed opinions, hasn't it? With you know them sort of retreading uh, things. I think with Bloodborne, it just the the level of detail, the the themes, the you know, like we said, like I said earlier about the name, even the names of the creatures. You know, that effort has gone into that. You know, they're not just calling it. This is a werewolf. <laughs> you know, this. Is, <laughs> you know, it, it's a lost child of antiquity. You know, it's you know, that's I mean, so it's, good. <laughs> that's fantastic. You know, it, and I think that's where I think that's why this place, uh, this place, this game has got such a you know a uh, for people that are, that are fans of this um, of the Soulsborne's games, it's got such a an impact. And for me, it's hands down my favorite of the Soulsborne games by far because of what it is. I think it just ticks so many boxes thematically and level of love that's gone into it. You know, I think it really shows. And I think, and again, I think the the old hunters shows that that's as well. You know, the fact that as a DLC, that was a fantastic DLC, you know, again, it really showed that they, they want it. And again, that, that goes on about what's happening, you know, the old hunters and, 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 you know, and things like that, it, you know, it shows that again, they could go anywhere with it. If I think it's one of those situations that whatever they do in the future, they just got to make sure that they don't just, just splurge out and to go, Oh yeah, we'll just do that. that, that, that. To not spoil what this mm. what bloodborne, you know, if it's bloodborne one and the old hunters has done, they, they could easily spoil it. You know, again, similar to what Dark Souls Three has done for for some people, where it's like, oh, they've they've not really done what we hope they would do. You know, they could, they've got something really special here, and I, I hope really hope they sort of do something with it next. Yeah, uh, well, thanks guys for giving your uh, your personal opinions on this. Um, I I put this question out uh, on, on Twitter. Um, basically the, the same thing we just mm. answered and we got in about five uh responses um so let's uh let's take a look at those and see what other people have to say um matt if you could uh read the first one for us <clears throat> yeah uh this is from at 99 dexterity i believe <laughs> it would have been roughly as effective the narrative wouldn't have been as strong, obviously, as a lot of it relies on the cosmos being implemented into the choir's history. We would we would still have gotten Kanehurst, yeah. So at least the best area wouldn't be influenced. <laughs> <laughs> <Fair point. Yeah. laughs> 
yeah, it's uh, yeah, fair point on that one. Mm. Stephen, if you could read the next one. Or uh, this is that the Lore Hunter. Um, he said a lot of pre-release discussion around Bloodborne focused on beasthood, and if we could become the beast, uh, I myself had the idea that we that we would be fighting various monster stereotypes that focus on different vices, as the cleric beast heavily references the Wendigo, a cannibalistic creature born of hunger and greed. I never made that connection. That's kind of cool. Um, uh, while this discussion wasn't entirely wrong, it was the result of an intentional misdirect by the marketing. Uh, the slowly unraveling realization that the game was cosmic horror, the climax being Yahargul, uh, is one of my favorite experiences in games. It gave me the purest experience of being a Lovecraftian protagonist that I can imagine. Uh, going in with a one perspective on the world and having those expectations utterly destroyed as the truth is revealed. Um, plot twists aside, I'm not sure that simply focusing on beasthood would have been as compelling thematically as it is the game's deals heavily in themes of the true nature of man and man's inner beast. While this regression is interesting, contrasting it against evolution and transcendence forms a conversation about a man's place in the universe and how striving to be greater often brings out the darker side of humanity. The fact that the scourge is not just a plague, but the result of a mass experiment conducted by the upper class to attain greater power not only lends pathos to the narrative, but is much more resonant. The burning of old Yarnum, the fishing hamlet, and Yorghul are all tales of monsters, but they're equally stories about the atrocities of man, uh, the atrocities man will commit against themselves in order to gain power hinted at by the existence of the Great Ones. So, uh, man was the real monster all along. Hashtag <laughs> think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Cameron, if you can get the next one. Yeah, um, so good friend at Zombie Security writing in. Okay, re Bloodborne and Beasthood. When I started Bloodborne, I loved the Victorian Gothic vibe right from the get go. Werewolves and Beastmen all about, humans turning savage, I loved it. Then subtle little hints start showing up, there's more to it. Effed up looking statues in the chapel. Enemy that looks like a squid headed mind flare and sucks out your insight. Then the game takes its complete left turn into Lovecraft territory. It was amazing. I think the choice of the design is to go beyond the gothic staples of werewolf slash vampire slash undead creatures and delve into cosmic kin really helped shape the game into something special. You weren't just trying to wipe out beasts in Yharnam. There were effing elder gods moving behind the scenes. Made the character actions feel way more impactful. Anyway, that's my zero dollars, two cents. Thanks for... Uh... Reading that one. I'll, I'll take care of the next one. This is from uh, Cole Kagero. And for the prompt, would Bloodborne have been as effective a game with a sole focus on beasthood and its ills? Um, he says, hello, rando dropping in. <laughs> I don't have a lot of history with the Soul series, so I'm happy to say that the actual gameplay mechanics were not a problem for my enjoyment of Bloodborne. My greatest enemies were my slow, stupid thumbs and hubris. <laughs> However, I absorbed absolutely everything I could about the game before jumping in and was a bit more informed than the typical new player. I'm also not a very well-read horror fan, so take that as you will, but I don't think Bloodborne would have been as popular if it had focused on beasthood and its ills. The mechanics for Bloodborne's beasthood werebeast is so different from traditional western stories that it might have been only to draw in the horror fans who view vampirism and werewolfism as metaphors for the constitu ugh, constitutive other human beings that are not like you or, or not you or like you. 
As we have the game now, Beasthood in Bloodborne is a very Japanese Shinto Buddhist take on spiritual defilement. Kinship is the flip side to that coin, but that's another story. Where's the rest of the story? (laughs) Which happens to uh, transform its victims into beasts. I'm sure Bloodborne would have created fans for this angle on becoming a horrific werebeast, but focusing on that theme would also remove the mystique surrounding what it is and what makes it work. In fact, now that I think on it, being able to boil down Bloodborne's beasthood as Asian spiritually defiled werewolves already starts to sound like a supplemental entry for a role-playing systems monster book. Uh, agreed. <laughs> I think Bloodborne's success is due to how wide its horror themes are. At its core, Bloodborne's story is about Lovecraftian dreams and nightmares. But there are a ton of literary and cultural horror references hidden within Bloodborne, which also happens to feature beasthood on the cover. It makes the game more accessible to those who are accidentally, st- who accidentally stumble in. Uh, but for those who seek a deeper explanation, the breadth of its reference- references provides a rich tapestry from which to pull from. And pull you must, because Bloodborne's writing team encourages the player to fill in at least 33 to 40% of the story yourself. Uh, we talked a little bit about that uh, in just mm-hmm. the character mm-hmm. narrative. Um, this is the blessing. Speculation is this game's driving force, and excellent. That was an excellent. All these, all these are really yeah. good responses. Um, yeah, Leonard, if you can take care of the uh, first half of uh, the next response. Yes, uh, at my underscore Sinclair, Bloodborne. I think a different audience would have come from a focus on beast on the beasthood. That could have been done really well if they had fleshed out the Viobloods and and Canehurst more and gone the vampire versus werewolf direction with their own twist on it. I think many of the fans of, of of Bloodborne's story would have been different, but I do think they could have done it well. I am happy with the direction they went, but... More on the vile buds could have interested me in a Bloodborne two, preferably a prequel. Yes, definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We didn't mention the vile bloods in that sense, do we? Yeah, that'd be quite a good, good one, good way to yeah. spin off. Actually, hmm. yeah, I think there's a there's like I said, there's a lot of uh, fodder on the periphery that's you know mentioned uh, sort of offhand mm. uh, in the in the lore and item descriptions that. Uh, we would like to see um, them cover that was for <laughs> good or ill <laughs> I guess more for ill um, the problem that I had with uh, Dark Souls 3 was you get mm. these references and unfortunately it's not you know wrapped up in the DLC yeah um, well anyway uh, my uh, my Sinclair she sent in a comment on our last episode that we were un- unfortunately unable to get to um as as it deals with werewolves uh, i was perfectly happy <laughs> with uh, including it here so um this is my take on our on query on just on on general werewolves uh, she says i like the jack nicholson wolf movie more than american werewolf in london but i think london is one of the best lichen films I'm really glad you guys covered Dog Soldiers because I think people overlook it a lot and it's one of my faves. Y'all mentioned liking more full-on werewolf transformations. I agree. 
But what is your favorite style to use, I guess, RC? Um, traditional legends with transformations on the full moon, and it's more of a beast tale, or the Lycan angle, where they can change at will and have their uh, intelligence, I guess, carry on over. Um, yeah, uh, we, we answered this a little bit. Um, Steven, do you have any input on this? Uh, first of all, I didn't know anyone else on this earth knew about that Jack Nicholson Wolf movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love that movie so much. It's good. <laughs> it's it's I I don't know if it holds up. I haven't seen it in a while, but I, I loved it uh, as a kid. Anyway, um, I personally like the more uh, bestial thing where they can't really control uh, the transformation just because that leads to more interesting introspection about you know the beasthood of man and all that stuff that was referenced earlier. Um, also on a side note, I watched, uh, dog soldiers cause you guys covered it last time. And that movie is really rad. Like, I like that movie a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of fun. Definitely. And, uh, that's, I guess that's one of our, our podcast goals is to find new and interesting things, seek them out. Oh no, that, that's Star Trek. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's another podcast. That's another podcast oh, that we're not. Seek um, less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, Leonard, how about you? Uh, well, personally, uh, being a man that's not a fan of just randomly killing people in a blind rage, I lean more towards the lichen, uh, can change at will as intelligence angle. Um, Mm. yes, you, you, you lose the pathos of, of man angle with it, but it does, uh, create that kind of interesting, idea of well do you punish an entire group of people because there are a couple of bad apples because let's face it if the, if if uh lichens are race there are going to be some that just revel in mayhem and death and so you have the angle of do we consider every one of them a threat because we have a couple that just go out and murder us like cattle or do we find some kind of common ground with them? And I I appreciate those kind of werewolf-liking stories a little more than uh, bestial force of nature that eventually needs to be put down. Uh, the guys and I covered our maybe our opinions on this. Um, mm-hmm. Matt and Cameron, do you guys have anything else you wanted to add uh, to this particular question? Uh, not really, Matt. <laughs> um, I was just going to say I'm, I'm a bit more romantic, the type that transforms with the full moon, etc. But I just think that's because I just, I just think it's a bit more interesting. But I mm. I can see both sides really. They, they cause a lot of havoc. These werewolves. <laughs> <Either way>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get out nice. of my door. <laughs> <laughs> um oh i was i was kindly informed that my um information on the werewolves from the rage series uh white wolf uh, rpgs was slightly off um there are Mm -hmm. five forms not three so you have the just the general man form the man Mm -hmm. and half beast form the Mm -hmm. the giant uh war werewolf form then the giant werewolf half regular wolf form, and then a full just a wolf running around form. So just to 
clear up that lore uh, before anyone else calls me out on it. <laughs> I, I tried my best, guys. That was like 25 years ago. Sorry. <laughs> Memories not as good as it Come used to on. be. Come <laughs> <laughs> um, on. Yeah, I, I think this, uh, this pretty much wraps us up. Um, yeah. Anything else, you guys? Any final thoughts on uh, this episode of Bloodborne? Because I think we'll probably do another. Yes, please. <laughs> I think we. I think it's established that we love it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think we're. Fans. I think we all like six out of ten. It's pretty good. Should, yeah. <laughs> average at best. Buy it on sale. Just kidding. Please go ha- buy this game. No. Get it on <laughs> sale if you can, because it's cheaper to pick it up if you don't already have it. Um, yeah. yeah. I know mm-hmm. they they've been doing a lot of sales, and I uh, I don't think it's on the days of play. Um, e three sales mm, at least not yet but uh, um it's popped up for about like 20 something bucks. it will oh oh it will yeah it will it's and, been very cheap lately well yeah. um if it does drop down uh we know that they're probably doing a second one <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> there you go yeah. uh keeping that interest uh, going all right uh that, that pretty much wraps us up we'll do a little bit of the uh traditional admin, admin stuff here um you can find me uh, primarily on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus. Uh, Steven, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at uh, Steps uh, Veyu, um on Twitter. Um, and just, he, I keep just rudely busting in on other people's podcasts. So I post that <laughs> pretty regularly. <laughs> All right. And um, Matt, where can we find you? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter as well at Ninja Badger Seven Number Seven. How about you, Cameron? Yeah, uh, I'm on the Twitter myself as well. I'm at Knight underscore Twitten. That's a uh, Knight without a K. Uh, and Leonard, where can we find you, mate? Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Doctor Faust is Dead, and you can find me on YouTube uh by searching for dr faust is dead in the uh, search bar i'm desperately trying to get a hundred subscribers so i can get a custom url so i can tell people (laughs) that they can actually just type in dr faust is dead in their address (laughs) bar instead of a string of nonsense well you heard him let's help the man out give him some uh, yeah um I guess Dude, that, that uh, video on inside was very good. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some quality content uh, out there and uh, even a little bit of a uh, bloodborne stuff. Um, yes. Everyone I think we, we mentioned it last time, but uh, yeah, go check his channel out. It's uh, good stuff. One, uh, one last little bit. Um, we will uh, leave you with a, a tune from uh, Jake Lionheart. Who's, done Ooh. some pretty cool raps on Bloodborne. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, listener, uh, stick, stick around for a few minutes and uh, hear some tunes. Yeah.
kneeling in the water, calling forlorn, silent reminiscing, watch as she mourns, lying lifeless, only alter her despair, you can tell she sincerely did care, some saw a spider, some they very sinister, but all she saw was a beautiful sister, can it be great ones actually feel pain, saw her poured out to remember her name, she was a student deemed worthy of ascension, awakened to hold a barrier was the intention, but where blood, moon, and water collide, would be the place that the spider died, and all that's left is for a breeze just a week So distraught she didn't hear the hunter creep If only humans didn't come lurking along Because the Reapers did nothing wrong Yeah And they would strike the daughter of the cosmos No wonder these humans are lost souls But if death is what they truly seek for Then a breed is obliged to settle the score She is on them with a rage set ablaze Strikes so hard the water ripples with waves And they cut her and she bleeds out But she rages on with a battle shout Crushing the legs of the scholar immenses And the pain caused by a breed is endless Looks at the hunter and her hate is relentless Knocks away his saw blade leaving him weaponless His death closes in it won't be long But remember, a breed has did nothing wrong They say that time